Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Grab your copy of God's Word. Go to me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. You guys are going to have a rough tonight watching them have all that fun out here with dodgeball, whatever they're going to play. That's going to be tough. You know, as you think about history, as you think about history, one could argue that history is nothing but a series of ongoing conflicts and conquests, couldn't you? Wars, battles, rumors of war. And then you think about it, we always hear, you know, winning a battle does not always mean that you win the war, but one cannot win the war without winning the battle. If you were to put together the two most important battles in American history, here's what you might come up with. I mean, this would be arguable, of course. Maybe you're a history buff and you've got a better answer than this. But two of the most important battles in American history, uh, number two might be the Battle of Antietam. Am I saying that right? Antietam? The Civil War? 1862? That was the bloodiest day in American history. More Americans died on that day than any other day in history. More than in D-Day even. More Americans died that day. And, and while that battle was essentially a stalemate between the Union and the Confederates, it was a major turning point for the Union Army. A major turning point. The United States, it, pro- it, it propelled the Union forward uh, in winning that Civil War. But number one might be The Battle of Yorktown, 1781 from the American Revolution. The Battle of Yorktown, it was the climax of the American Revolution. The battle there, um, uh, it directly led to the independence of the United States of America. And while other battles may have been larger, more dramatic, no battle in history has been more influential, right? Because it was the birth, in one sense, the the true freedom, uh, the, the true freedom, the true independence of America from England. But as you think about battles... All of these battles that you could think of pale in comparison to the battles and the war that has been raging since the dawn of creation, right? The battle against sin, death, and the devil, the war that began in the Garden of Eden, stretched throughout the millennia, and the decisive battle was won on the cross of Calvary. You see, there is victory in Jesus. Tonight, we're beginning a new series. Um, I was happy to, to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount last week with you all. Really was blessed by that time, but excited to move on into this new series here as we think about great hymns of the faith. That's what we're calling this one, great hymns of the faith. So this new series is inspired by great Bible songs, right? These are songs that are founded upon the truth of Scripture. Uh, these are songs that communicate the biblical hope in Jesus Christ. These are the songs that edify the saints and promote deep and extravagant joy in Jesus. And so tonight we kick off our series with victory in Jesus. Our primary passage of Scripture tonight comes from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 57. So let me read that for us tonight to set the tone here before we sing victory in Jesus The Apostle Paul writes through the inspiration of God the Father, through the Holy Spirit, I I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, 
at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Grab a seat. Yeah. So let's pray together. Fathers, we sing that song tonight. We pray it would come from the bottom of our hearts, God, the joy that's found in Jesus Christ, that there is victory. God, we want to celebrate that victory. We want to live in that victory. We want to see others come into that victory. And so we just claim it today by the blood of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. Tonight's takeaway is just very simple. Celebrate and live in the astounding victory won by Jesus Christ. You see, guys, it's not enough. Matt and I were talking about this today, right, Matt? It's not enough just to know something. We need to be in awe of it, right? He was teaching his boys in D group the other night what it means to be in awe of God, right? We're not just going to celebrate and live. We're going to be astounded by it. We're going to be moved by it, that it would never grow old. So celebrate and live in the astounding Victory won by Jesus Christ. I can still remember the year when the Tennessee Titans did the, did the, did the Nashville miracle or the Music City miracle. Remember that? And I still remember seeing that on TV. That was back before DVR and all that. So we were watching it live when it happened. And my mom and I ran around our house like crazy people. Every room of the house. Wah! All this stuff, right? <laughs> we should celebrate. I mean, Jesus is a greater victory than that, right? Absolutely. So I want you to celebrate and live in the astounding victory won by Jesus Christ. I want to give you the timeline of that victory tonight. That's how I want to walk through the, tonight's thinking, this, tonight's topic on victory in Jesus. I want to give you the timeline of that victory. And the point, the first point on the timeline is when Adam and all of us tanked in the garden. Adam and all of us tanked in the garden. In order, you see, for a victory to happen, there has to be a potential for a great loss, right? There has to be an enemy that's trying to bring about defeat. And we have that in the very beginning here, right? Right at the dawn of creation, God created everything, including Adam and Eve. He placed them in this garden to enjoy creation and to enjoy one another and to enjoy God himself. They could enjoy anything and everything except for one thing, which God said, don't eat of this. And it was the fruit of what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's right. God said that one thing, everything else you can have, but that one thing is off limits. Enjoy everything but the fruit from this one tree. And we're not told how long they got to experience all the joy that was there in the garden. It was immense joy. One day we'll get to experience that again, right? It was immense joy, even greater joy than what they experienced but at some point, the enemy crept into the garden. The enemy came in and began to deceive and began to tempt Eve. We see in Genesis 3, verse 1 through 5, 
Genesis 3, verse 1 through 5 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the, tr- uh, of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You'll not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now the devil knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. You see, he had strategically gone after the woman. Strategically had gone after the woman, the weaker vessel, according to the word of God, 1 Peter 3, 7. He, He had strategically gone after the woman. And here was Adam's opportunity. Adam's opportunity to shine, man. Here's Adam's opportunity to stomp the serpent and toss him out of the garden. But you know what Adam did instead? He tanked. He tanked. I mean, like the Philadelphia 76ers before this year, man. They tanked. Adam tanked. He failed miserably, in other words. You see, God had given the command to Adam, not to Eve. Genesis 2 15 through 17 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of the tree of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And Adam obviously had communicated these instructions to his wife because she answers the devil back, right? She answers correctly. She doesn't answer wrongly. She answers correctly. Remember there in in verse verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, you may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it or you will die. But Adam didn't step in, did he, in this moment? When the serpent's there tempting his wife, he didn't step in to defend his wife, right? He should have jumped in and lovingly slapped the fruit out of his wife's hand, but he tanked. He became passive. He, be, he, he abdicated his role as leader and protector. And so we read in Genesis 3, 6 and 7. Genesis 3, verse 6 and 7. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to his eyes, or to their eyes, or the eyes... And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together. And made themselves loincloths. You see, beloved, at that moment the Bible says that Adam sinned. And all of humanity sinned with him. Adam tanked. And all of humanity tanked. With him. Romans 5.12. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Right? That's past tense. All sinned. Not will sin, all sinned. In Adam, we all sinned. When he sinned, as our federal head, as our representative head, when he sinned, we sinned. So not only did Adam tank in the garden, but we tanked as well. Romans 5, 18 and 19 says it a little bit differently. Romans 5, 18 and 19. One trespass led to the condemnation for all men. 
Verse 19, for by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So not only were Adam and Eve on the verge of, of being eternally lost, but all of humanity, right, was on the verge of being eternally lost. Every man, woman, boy, girl who would ever live was on the verge of being eternally lost. And that brings us to our second point in the timeline. When God promised victory in the face of imminent defeat. Defeat was closing in, right? The clock was ticking in one sense, right? Death was already setting in. Adam and Eve, they were already running and hiding from God. They were already lying to God. And God in his justice cursed the serpent and all of his offspring. And Eve and all of her daughters and Adam and all of his sons and even all of creation itself Defeat was imminent. But then God promised victory. Right there in the midst of proclaiming a curse on Eve, God said this, Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He was talking to the serpent there, proclaiming the curse on the serpent. And you say, well, preacher, that's not much of a promise. You said victory was promised right there. But hearing that phrase is what preachers, teachers, theologians throughout the ages have called the proto-euangelium, right? The first gospel, the seed of Eve, will crush the devil's head. By the power of God, this son of Eve would bring victory. And so this promised seed began to be brought about by God. All throughout the Old Testament, these channels of grace that we call covenants. First, there was the Noahic covenant, with the, the covenant made with Noah. All of humanity would have been destroyed, except God wanted to preserve a line to bring the Messiah in and to save the world. So God made this covenant with Noah. And then there was the Abrahamic covenant where God said, I'm going to choose this people and build this people so that the Messiah, this, this, this victor, can come through this lineage. And then there was the Mosaic covenant where God prepared the world through the nation of Israel for the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. And then there was the Davidic covenant, the, the covenant made with David, where God says, I'm going to put a king on the throne of David forever. And so year by year, this promised seed came closer and closer to bear fruit. Ceremonies foreshadowed his ministry. The prophets foretold of his coming. The people languished, longing for his arrival. And finally, just over 2,000 years ago, he came. He came. Luke 1, 26 through 35 says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee. Luke 1, 26 through 35. City of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. And tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. 
And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he'll be great and will be called the, the, the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called, the, called Holy, the Son of God. And so the hero finally arrived, right? The one, the promised one, this victor who was coming, who was going to bring the victory. The champion was finally here. That brings us to the third point in the timeline. When Jesus won the victory through his life and death. Any of you guys been watching the NBA playoffs? Anybody care about the NBA playoffs? Yeah. Don does a little bit. Connie was giving them a little bit. Okay. All right. Who's your favorite team, Don? You just like to watch it. I don't really have a favorite team either, but this past Sunday, LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers, man, they were facing a game seven elimination against the Indiana Pacers. Y'all know what I'm talking about when I say LeBron James, right? Arguably... The best player on the planet, right? Some would argue that. I'm not saying that's my opinion. I'm just saying some would argue that. And he very well could be. But this is game seven. So whoever wins this game gets to go on in the playoffs. The other one gets to go home. Their season's done. And at one point during that game, LeBron looked over at his family in the crowd and said, I'm playing all game. I'm going to be in this whole game. He was all pumped up. In other words, he was saying, I'm going to put my team on my back and we're going to go to victory. And he did, man. They won that game. He scored 45 points. I've seen teams not even score 45 points, right? You know, he just, uh, I mean, he's just amazing out there. And he did. He, he basically was saying, I'm going to put this team on my back and carry them to victory. And I say to you tonight, beloved, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He said, put the whole world on my back. I will carry the world to victory. That's what he did. He lived a life that you and I cannot live. He was perfectly holy, which is what's required to enter into heaven. Perfectly holy. And he earned it hands down. He never sinned. He always did what pleases the Father. Hebrews 4.15 says about Jesus that Jesus in every respect, Hebrews 4.15, in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin, and heaven is his reward. But he didn't just live the life that we cannot live. He also died the death that we deserve. As sinful man nailed Jesus to that crucifix, they were nailing an innocent man, right? He did not deserve to die. But at one point on that cross, all the sins... Of the world. Every person who will believe on Jesus was placed on Jesus, and God poured out his wrath on Jesus. Matthew 27, 45 through 46 says this Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? The sinless Son of God was imputed with our sin, accounted for our sin, filled with our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, victory in Jesus. My Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. Right there on the cross, church. Victory was won. Heaven was won. Hell was defeated. Which brings us to the fourth point on the timeline. When God confirmed the victory through Jesus' resurrection. God confirmed the victory through Jesus' resurrection. Jesus lived for us and Jesus died for us. And through his substitutionary work, the victory was won. And God confirmed that victory by raising him from the dead. You ever see the referees go to the instant replay booth or go over to the the scores table in basketball to get that instant replay at the end of the game? What are they doing? They are confirming the victory. They were confirming the victory, and that's exactly what the resurrection did for us. We have no reason to doubt. Did it work or not? Was his death efficacious or not? Did his blood atone or not? There's no question. Why? Because he was raised from the dead. Right? The resurrection affirms, confirms, the resurrection confirms the victory through Jesus Christ. Three days later, after being crucified, dead and buried, the Lord Jesus was raised back to life and blew the tomb wide open. (laughs) That brings us to the fifth point on the timeline. When we join this victory through faith in Jesus, beloved, hear me very closely this this evening. The victory is not automatic for everybody. The victory is not automatic for everybody. In fact, maybe we should say it this way. The victory is automatic for nobody, right? John 3.16 tells us that there's only a certain group. Listen to what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that Whoever believes in him, believes in Jesus, should not perish, but have everlasting life, have eternal life. And so what that tells us right there is that the victory only applies to whosoever believes. That group, that's that certain group that this applies for. This is not, the victory in Jesus does not apply to the one who never repents and believes on Jesus. Guys, faith in Jesus is the difference between life and death. Faith in Jesus is the dividing line between victory and defeat. So I say to you tonight, do you want to be on the winning team? And I'm preaching to the choir tonight. I understand that. Do you want to be on the winning team? Do you want others, since I'm preaching to the choir, Do you want others to be on the winning team? Then you personally join Jesus. And if you already have joined Jesus by repentance and faith 
in Jesus, then get out there and work your tails off to see others join him as well, right? That's the dividing line. Jesus is that dividing line. The only way you experience the victory that Jesus won is through faith in Jesus. Repent and believe on Jesus and victory will be yours. And that brings me to my final point on the timeline tonight. The final point on the timeline, which brings us back to our primary text that talks about victory. We'll experience the fullness of this victory in our resurrection. We'll experience the fullness of this victory in our resurrection. If you are in Jesus now, you're already experiencing a portion of the victory, right? The foretaste, the, the down payment, or whatever you want to say, right? It's like dipping your toe in the pool, right? You, you get the refreshment a little bit. Oh, that feels good. I can't wait to get in there, right? But you're not fully in it yet. And guys, there's coming a day when Jesus returns and you'll experience the fullness of that victory. That's what our primary text tonight. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Let's look at 54 through 57 to close us up tonight. When the perishable puts on the imperishable. Notice here, when the victory's coming, right? When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice there again, back in verse 54. Then shall come to pass the saying. When Jesus returns and the dead saints who have gone before us come with him, descend with him, and those of us who are here as believers now, when we are transformed, changed in that twinkle of an eye, in that blink of an eye, in that nanosecond of time, we will then experience the fullness of that victory that's found in Jesus Christ when we say, my Savior, when we sing in that song, my Savior forever, that'll be a victory forever, an eternal victory. I called you tonight to celebrate the victory. Is there anything to celebrate tonight? Oh, my goodness. But don't just celebrate it, guys. You get to go out and live in it, right? Don't live a defeated life. Don't give the devil an inch. He is a defeated foe. Why would you let a loser in? Kick his hind end to the curb. He's on borrowed time. He's on a short leash and it's getting shorter. And one day, it tells us in the book of Revelation, right, that he will be thrown in to the lake of fire and completely done away with from the saints forevermore. Live in the victory that Jesus won for you. Here's my final prayer. May our victory in Jesus be sweet forevermore. 
Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And He stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us. And I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.